I'm just so in love with you. This is great. And other days I'm like, you know, Lord, I might trade you for an ice cream cone today. So my love for God fluctuates, but God's calling on my life is irrevocable. So we know that all things work together for good, not because of my great love for God, but because of God's irrevocable calling. He called you to be his child. He adopted you into his family. And he's not going to throw you out just because you're a little wishy-washy at times. Although we are not condemned by the sins of our fathers, our parents do have a lot of influence on the struggles we have as adults. Kids learn from their parents. In today's teaching, Pastor Daniel notes that Isaac will fall into the same fleshly fear as his father, and deception will be no stranger to his grandsons either. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis 26 verse 1 with part one of his message entitled, Blessing Jacob. As we take chapters 26 and 27, what you realize is that in a lot of ways, Isaac has middle patriarch syndrome, which means Abraham as the first patriarch gets a lot of discussion, and Jacob as the third patriarch gets a lot of discussion, and Isaac gets no play. He gets one chapter devoted to him. So if you've heard of middle child syndrome, well, Isaac's got middle patriarchs syndrome. There's just not a lot about him here. We don't hear too much. If you remember last week, we saw he was married to Rebecca. We saw that Rebecca was barren for a while, which is a common theme in the book of Genesis, how God brings fruitfulness out of barrenness. And that's an important thing for us, isn't it? Because so often there's no fruit on the vine. And as the scripture says, though there's no fruit on the vine, yet I will trust in you. Because God is really good at bringing fruitfulness out of barrenness. And there are seasons for fruit bearing. So Rebecca was barren. She ends up with twins in her womb. Both Esau and Jacob are born. We find out that the older will serve the younger. And right away we find Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a a pottage of porridge, a a bowl of lentil soup. And it kind of sets the stage for Jacob being the next patriarch. It was given by prophetic word. Now we see Esau selling his birthright, willing to give up that place of primacy in his father's house for simply a bowl of food. And I ended with an application that for each one of us, we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to give up for eternity? I mean, let's think about it. For so many of us, we're not willing to walk with Jesus for something as inconsequential as a bowl of porridge. For Esau, that's what it was, just a bowl of lentils. But for some of us, it's these little things that when you think about it, when I read about Esau giving up his birthright for a bowl of lentils, you'd be like, you know, what's he thinking? And then I always think of that scripture that says, let us take heed how we stand, lest we fall. 
Because so many of us are giving up sweet fellowship with God for a click on the internet or, you know, some alcohol or drugs or something. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And most of us give up the best that God has for us for something like a bowl of lentil soup. But for Esau, he was hungry, and that's what he wanted. So in Genesis 26, verse 1, this chapter contains the only primary material we have concerning Isaac. In 24, Isaac isn't the principal actor. He just comes and marries Rebekah. In 25, Isaac isn't really the principal actor either because it's really about Rebekah and the children being born. Everything we have about Isaac, where he is the principal actor, we get here in chapter 26. So let's jump right in. In verse 1, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 4. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. We had seen a famine that Abraham had in chapter 12. As he heads to the area of Gerar, which was in the land of the Philistines, the Lord appears to Isaac, and in effect, what he does is he places the covenant, the promises that he had given to Abraham onto Isaac. So remember, we keep making this point that God had made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant primarily was that he would be their God, they would be his people, so God, the people, and the land. And that's almost exactly what Isaac gets here. Not the exact same words, but he says, dwell in the land. I'm going to perform the oath that I promised to Abraham. You're going to have many descendants. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God reiterates the covenant he made with Isaac's father Abraham, now with Isaac, which places Isaac as the next in line. Now don't miss the blessing of your seed. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's the end of verse 4. Now, if you write in your Bible, you might want to underline that. If you don't write in your own Bible, you can just reach over to your neighbors and just underline in their Bible. See, the reality is, is now from the... Remember, it began with Eve, the seed of Eve, then in Abraham's seed, now in Isaac's seed. So you see the lineage through which the Messiah will come. And that's why if you open up Matthew chapter 1, the very first page in your New Testament, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac, and it goes on. It's all this traces back. It's, it's interesting that if you've never read the Bible before, I always tell people, look, start at Matthew chapter 1, but don't be worried about the list of names in the beginning. 
So I always tell people, where should I read the Bible? Start at Matthew chapter 1. But don't worry about those names. All you have to know is that those names link everything that you're going to read up to the whole Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. That's exactly what it does. It says, what's going to happen with Jesus has all of its foundation from Genesis to Malachi. What we call the Old Testament. The Scriptures. That's where it begins. So, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, speaking of Jesus. So now, in verse 6, it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife. Because he thought, Lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful. Behold. Deja vu, huh? You've heard this before. This is a classic case of like father, like son. Abraham did it, and now Isaac is doing it. Now, we need to talk about this for one second, because the reality is, is that we as parents are called to teach and raise up our children. Okay? And the reality is, is that statistically, Children who have alcoholic parents have a higher statistical rate of being alcoholics because in some senses that becomes normalized. And so for each one of us as parents, we need to take to heart what it is we're influencing our children in. Now, some people get really into this idea of the generational curse where the sins of the fathers visit the children of the third and fourth generation. I'm not worried about generational curses because Jesus breaks every generational curse. So no matter what your parents were like, you do not have to be like them because God is transforming your life in the name of Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, for a lot of us, we have the same leanings as our parents did. So whatever, like if you had an angry dad, there's probably a good chance that you're going to be kind of an angry person. Until you let Jesus transform your heart. So we want to learn from the experience of what we had, but don't feel that you are subjected to the same outcome as your parents had because Jesus changes everything. Okay? But it's interesting that Isaac did the same thing as Abraham did. He goes to this area of Gerar, the land of the Philistines. His wife is gorgeous. And he's like, I don't want to tell them that she is my wife because they're going to kill me so they could have her. And so he says, she's my sister. And we've seen this before. Remember with Abraham, I made the point, a half truth is a whole lie. Well, in Isaac, it's a whole truth. Or it's a whole lie, excuse me. So there's no wiggle room for him. She's not his sister. Not in any way. But he's scared. God just blessed him, promised him that in his seed all the nations are going to be blessed. And he's still scared. And isn't that like us? God has given us these glorious promises in Jesus. I mean like Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. And every single minute of every single day, that verse sits in between Romans 8.27 and 8.29. It never leaves your Bible. But yet, when things happen, we all freak out, don't we? It's so natural to freak out. But yet, for we know 
that all things and what does all mean in the Bible? Oh, yeah. Bible interpretation 101. All means all. Does it say that some things will work together for good? That maybe if we get lucky? No, all things work together for good. For those who love God and for those who are the called according to his purpose. You know what I love about that verse? My love for God often is skittish. It's a little all over the place. Some days I'm like, Lord, you're the awesomest. I'm just so in love with you. This is great. And other days I'm like, you know, Lord, I might trade you for an ice cream cone today. So my love for God fluctuates, but God's calling on my life is irrevocable. So we know that all things work together for good, not because of my great love for God, but because of God's irrevocable calling. He called you to be his child. He adopted you into his family. And he's not going to throw you out just because you're a little wishy-washy at times. So why are we worried? Ask yourself right now, what is worrying you? And how does that worry stack up to all things work together for good for those who love God? And that's perspective for life. That no matter what's going on, God's going to work this thing out. But Isaac, he's lying, he's worried, he's freaking out. So he says, look, she's my sister. In verse 8, it says this, Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. <laughs> so you can imagine this. She's my sister. And there's Isaac flirting with his wife. Which is a, you married guys, flirt with your wives. They like that. It's a good thing. If you're not married, don't go flirting. I'm just going to leave that hanging there. But you married guys, I hope you're flirting with your wives. And I hope you flirt with your wives so people see it too. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And God loves love in a marriage. He loves that. God's into that. So it's interesting. You can imagine Abimelech. You wonder why he was looking through the window at Rebekah. You know, a pagan. <laughs> but he, he looks and they're sporting. That's what the word in the Hebrew means. And it's a good translation to showing endearment. He was flirting with her. Sporting with her a little bit. Uh, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. In verse 10, And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife. You would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. See, this is the problem when Christians act in a way that is against what God asks us to, is we put people in a position of temptation. That is why God holds us accountable for our lives. When we act in a way that is not in accordance with God's purposes and plans for our lives, what ends up happening is, is we run the opportunity of stumbling somebody else because we're messing around. And that's why I've been I was like, look, one of these guys could have came and tried to marry her or taken her to be his own or whatever. 
And Abimelech is so concerned about this that he says, look, if anybody touches this man or his wife, they're going to be put to death. Now, look at what happens from here. It says this in verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now, this is classic right here. This is classic grace right here. We just found out that Isaac is a liar. And now it says that he got prospered by the Lord. I mean, over and over again in these verses, God blesses him. God prospers him so that he became very prosperous. And then verse 14 is the Genesis version of a diversified portfolio. In our day, it would be he had stocks and bonds and annuities and precious metals. That's what that means. So this is classic grace. Isaac does not deserve it and God prospers and blesses him anyway. This is why grace is so scandalous to people. Because God could lavish his Holy Spirit upon people who are not deserving of it. And so many of us have gotten saved by grace and are trying to be made perfect by law-keeping. Like, I do this thing and so God's going to bless me. No, listen, God blesses you because God is a blessing kind of a guy. Never because of what we do. We don't get extra blessings from God from the things that we do. We get blessed by God because of who God is. Grace is thoroughly undeserved, unearned, unmerited, all because of what Jesus did. And that's why, isn't it so hard for us sometimes where you're walking with the Lord and you're doing your best to walk with Him and you see somebody who isn't really doing their best to walk with Him and God's still blessing them? And you're like, Lord, what is up with that? You ever ask that question? I remember when I was a single guy and I was just, you know, serving the Lord. I was a single pastor and I watched my single friends getting engaged and stuff. I'm just like, Lord, like I'm preaching, Lord, like, Planting churches, I mean, hello? It should be my time, Lord. Because I thought that I was going to preach my way into a godly marriage. Not trusting God who blesses despite it all. Isn't that the gospel? But do we really believe that? How often do we try and play chess with God for blessing? Lord, if I do this, then you should do this. That's classic law keeping. I am blessed because I do X, Y, and Z. The gospel is, I am blessed because of what Christ did for me. Oh, and that's straight through our Bibles. All right, Isaac's a perfect, we just found out he's a total liar. And he's being prospered by God. So much so that the Philistines are envying him. Now in verse 15, look at what it says. It says, Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Now look at what envy does to somebody. Now they're living in the desert. This is before the day and age of public water systems. 
And if you dug a well and you found water, that was a really good thing in that culture. But they envied him. So what did they do? They were stopping up the wells. That's what envy does. Envy makes you do dumb things. I mean, we need water today. It's an important application that we ask ourselves, Lord, why am I envying somebody? You know why we mostly envy somebody? Because we believe we deserve what they have. We believe that we deserve what they have. And I always think of what Jesus said to Peter. Because Peter was like, well, what about John? And the Lord said, don't worry about John. You follow me. And we spend so much time, especially in a culture like America, where we are pumped with advertisements. I mean, our economy runs on us buying things we really don't need. That's what it is. So we're constantly taught that what we have is not enough. That, that we need something more. And it's so easy to look at somebody and say, I want what they have. And that's classic. That's classic example of us not appreciating what God has given us. Rather than looking at what someone else has, Jesus says, don't worry about them. You follow me. You follow me. Don't worry about them. They have to be faithful with what I have on their plate. You need to be faithful on what I have on your plate. Not, you don't need to be faithful with what they have on their plate. We're each responsible for what's in front of us. And so what happens is, is they're maligning him. And then they say, listen, you got to get out of here. They banish him from their sight. So look what happens in verse 17. It says, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. In verse 19, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. And the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. And that, that word Essek literally means in Hebrew, quarrel. Verse 21, then they dug another well, and they quarreled over, one also, over that one also, and they called that name Sitna which literally means in the Hebrew enmity or strife. Verse 22, And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And that word Rehoboth literally means spaciousness or vastness. Now, I mean, think about what's happening here. God is blessing Isaac, even though the Philistines and the people of Gerar banished him from the land. Everywhere Isaac goes, he's finding water, and they're thinking to themselves, hey, you know, we want that. And they keep fighting with him. It's amazing. They should have just made an allegiance with him and just said, listen, every time you find three wells, can we have one of them? It would have been logical, right? That he would have had water and he would have had it in abundance. As Pastor Daniel pointed out, it's worth considering what we're passing on to our own kids in the light of how Isaac repeated the same sin as his father. We were reminded about grace, 
looking at God's chosen family and their imperfections, we can be even more sure that He forgives us. God is doing some amazing things with Jesus is Real Radio. It's our vision to see Jesus is Real Radio on more radio stations worldwide and to help change lives across the globe. You can help see this vision come to life by sending a gift of any amount to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Again, to send a gift of any amount to Jesus is Real Radio, simply send your gift to 7708 Northeast 78th Street, Vancouver, Washington, 98662. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, we'll watch Isaac's life continue to unfold in this study through Genesis. Pastor Daniel will remind us about what it's like to get caught up in the joy of our Savior and about how to be peacemakers through the story of Isaac finding water. That's all next time on Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco. Daniel Fusco